so nice. And I just love, I love that verse that you shared, Leanne, about from Psalm 100 where it says, make yourselves at home. And I guess that's a heart here at church that you would make yourself feel at home. This is home and you don't have to, as I said, jump through hoops or be striving to impress or, I don't know, put on your, your church happy face. May we just come, be who we are, be at home together. It's family. And um, I really hope you enjoy the word this morning as Adam comes. I know he's got an amazing word and Adam's got an incredible gift on his life just to teach and unpack things. So I'm really looking forward to it. Give him a big hand as he comes. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, guys. It's a privilege to be able to share with you this morning. Uh, let me just get set up here. Okay, so when I was little, I didn't really have much to do with church. We kind of came to church, uh, you know, Christmas and Easter, that kind of thing. My first experience that I, I look back now at and think, yeah, maybe uh, I think I was worshipping God there, was uh, at a, uh, our primary school carols night. And so carols are really important to me. I really think they have a special place. So coming into that Christmas time and the carols uh, at that particular primary school in Canberra were led by a Buddhist man who was probably the only teacher on staff that could play guitar but he was playing guitar and singing carols and, and I look back now and go yeah I think I was actually worshipping God there so that, that's um yeah it's coming into a special time but one of the times we were at church um we were going to the Uniting Church which is where my grandma went to church and in their liturgy so their, their form of worship there would be a bible reading and then um the, the person who was leading the service would say, this is the word of the Lord. And then the, the congregation would reply, oh, thanks be to God. And that was like the part of the, the worship service that would happen. And after this had happened and we'd been engaged in this service, we we're coming home and my little sister says, I know what God's name is. And we're all like, oh, okay. Well, she's learnt something. What's, what's this? So I think mum asked, oh, what, what's God's name then? And my sister Belinda said, Peter. And I was like, Peter? Why is God's name Peter? And Belinda said, because thanks Peter God. <laughs> so I say that to kind of get to this point of, you know, why do we call the Bible when it's read or the Bible when we read it the Word of God? And, you know, in the Bible it says that, that Jesus is the Word of God. Um, and so I want to unpack not just the Bible, and I will be talking a little bit about some of the, the structural things, the nuts and bolts of the Bible, but I also what I really want to become evident today is the story of the Bible. And really the story of the Bible is the story of Jesus, his birth, his life, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension back to heaven. And it really that's the whole key of the Bible. That's why when, you know, people get saved, we say, oh, maybe start with the Gospels because, you know, we need to understand Jesus before we can really go back and understand the Old Testament. The Old Testament's really a bit like a prequel. You know, it's like, you know, we should kind of understand it. It happened before, but we kind of understand it in light of what happened in the life of Jesus. Uh, and so we, we get people to read the Gospels. And now there's four Gospels. So we, we talk about... This is confusing. Church language is confusing, can I tell you? Because sometimes we talk about preaching the gospel, and that means, you know, that 
that whole process that I've just described, the birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension of, of Jesus. But there's also books within the Bible that are called the Gospels. Now, there's four of them at the start of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, and of the, those four, the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the Synoptic Gospels. And that means that they kind of see things together. So there's stories that appear in those three books that appear in all of those books and some extra bits and some bits that don't appear. But a lot of it appears in all those three books. And then John just has his own story that he's going on. He's just telling the story. He's like, this is what I reckon. This is how I saw it. And some scholars believe that there might have been another document which is called Q, which maybe those first three kind of read and, and were influenced by when they were writing uh, the Gospels. Now, the word gospel means, uh, it comes from like the old English word, God spell. Uh, and that spell isn't like the hocus pocus spell. It's like to spell something out. So it's like God spell, the story of God, telling the story of God. And so that's where that word gospel comes from. So did Jesus read the Bible? Yes and, yes and no. It wasn't called the Bible then. He read the Scriptures for sure. Uh, and so let's have a look at the first uh, verse that I want to open up to uh, in Luke, Luke 2. Thanks, Dean. Um, and this is where Jesus' family had kind of lost him for a bit. They're kind of like, oh, we're, he's gone. And said, after three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, to understand this, really, we need to understand a bit about um, Jewish culture uh, and about the how things would be done at the temple that time. There's this great tradition in Judaism, which I think, you know, we should maybe adopt in Christianity more, but they, they kind of talk to each other in questions. And so they talk about the Torah, which is basically their, their form of their holy scriptures. And they'll bounce ideas back and forth and say, does not the Torah say? And then the other one will say, does not the Torah also say? And they'll kind of go engage in this whole conversation. We need to have conversations about the Bible because we need to know what it says and why it's important. Now, like I said, I'm going to explore some Bible facts but let's not get lost in the facts. They're important to know, but let's know them so that we can engage in the story. Like I said, the story of Jesus. So the word Bible does not appear in the Bible. There you go. Doesn't appear there. It's not, not a word that's in the Bible. They talk about the Holy Scriptures, talk about the Word of God, they talk about the Gospel and the Gospels even, uh, but doesn't appear in the Bible. So the Bible word comes from the Latin word, uh, biblos, which means the books. And so it's basically a collection of books. So there's, there's uh, 66 books in, in this book. So this book is made up of 66 books. And that process didn't just happen. It didn't just come from heaven and, and there it was, but it built up over time. So the Old Testament, uh, which has the 39 first books, that was kind of fairly well established at the time of Jesus. And that was written mostly in Hebrew, but also there's two books uh, that are written in Aramaic as well. So there's, there's a couple of languages going on there. And then at the time of Jesus, Jesus would have spoken Aramaic, but also the common language that kind of everyone would have spoke was Greek. And so that was the, the uh, language that was used to write most of the, the New Testament. Uh, but also, to be able to understand the Hebrew Scriptures, 
most people at that time didn't speak Hebrew. So they actually needed a Bible that was in the language that they could understand. So Bible translation had already well began at the time of Jesus. So this book called the Septuagint was actually a Greek rendering of the Hebrew Scriptures. So there's a Greek, these 70 guys uh, got together uh, because this king went, oh, it would be a really good idea if I had all the books in the world. So he kind of like wanted all the books in the world. And so he, he got the Hebrew Scriptures somehow. Uh, and then he got 70 scholars to work on it. Uh, and it took them, they reckon, about 72 days to translate all of the Hebrew Bible into the Greek, which is just crazy. That is like a big job to do. 70 scholars, about 70 days. And so sometimes that Septuagint is referred to as the LXX, which is the Roman numerals for 70, which refers to those 70 scholars, the work of that 70 scholars. Now that book, the Septuagint, the Greek rendering of the Hebrew Old Testament, was actually used uh, quite widely at the time of Jesus. And we see the New Testament, when they quote a lot of the Old Testament uh, scriptures, we can actually tell that they're actually quoting from the Septuagint because the, the translation is sometimes a bit different. And so we actually know that they was using it widely uh, and... Um, yeah, so it was well in use, and, and so it's not blasphemy to kind of translate the Bible. It's actually a really good thing, and Jesus, you know, was being well aware of it, um, and yeah. So how do we get an English Bible? So like I said, Greek was the main language, but there's also Latin was kind of the language of like the, the upper class. It was like used the language of government, the language of, you know, high society, and so these guys got together in a bit before 400 AD. So this is like hundreds of years after Jesus has been on the scene. And they got together and this, the Pope said, all right, Jerome, it's your job to go and translate all the Bible into Latin. And so this dude, Jerome, like went into a cave and locked himself away and like made it his life's work to translate all of the Bible, so the Hebrew bit, and he used the Septuagint as well, and the New Testament to actually uh, into Latin. And then that Latin became like the, the standard language that was used, you know, especially in Catholic churches that time, before the Reformation, before the, the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church split. Uh, and the Catholic Church, um, yeah, still in sometimes use, use that uh, Septuagint translation. Uh, oh, no, so that was, sorry, yeah, the Vulgate. So that translation was called the Vulgate, and Jerome wrote that. So English, it took another thousand years before we got an English Bible, just a bit before the year 1400. And that was by a guy called Wycliffe who wrote it out by hand, like wrote it out by hand, like painfully, like going through the whole thing. It was like a Ox professor at Oxford University and like actually was really pivotal in actually getting the Bible into a language that we can understand. Um, but the Catholic Church didn't like that because it kind of gave control of the Bible to um, people that could just read it. You didn't have to be able to understand Latin uh, to be able to get your hands on, on the Scriptures and read it for yourself. So what happened to him... I'm sorry, I'm telling lots of stories this morning and I, I'm taking a lot of time. Um, but what happened to him is like the Pope was so angry at this guy that he translated it into English that 44 years after Wycliffe died, the Pope said, dig him up, burn him, and then scatter his ashes everywhere because I'm just so over him, just hated him. So that happened. Um, 
All right, so it took another, say, 150 years-ish for, um, for Tyndale to print the Bible. So, so Wycliffe was the guy who had handwritten it. Tyndale was the next guy who printed it in about the 1530s. Uh, only after this time, during the 16th century, were the chapters and the verse numbers added. So it was still kind of, we were still kind of back then reading it as, as like you would read a story. Uh, and that's, I think, really important for some of the stuff I had to say a, a bit later. So um, I have a good friend whose name is uh, Jared McKenna, who's an awesome guy, a minister, and he speaks all over the world, but he, he tells this story, he goes, oh, he was talking to um, Orthodox priests, leading a session for these guys involved in, in the Orthodox Church, and he was just casually saying, oh, you know, um, John 3.16. And like most of us, like that would probably be like the famous verse. If you had to pick one ber- verse that said that you thought was a famous verse of the Bible, we get that up, Dean, John 3.16. So we know it's, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So you've probably heard that like a hundred times at least in your lifetime. But these guys who were ministers, priests, were like, Oh, do you mean when Nicodemus came to see Jesus at night time? I'm like, Jared was like, hang on. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's what I mean. So these guys actually engaged with the Scriptures in such a way that it was more of a story. So they, they couldn't tell you the, the reference, but they knew the story. Whereas I think sometimes we miss the story for the reference. And so I, th- I was really encouraged by that. I'm like, yeah, I like maybe some of the verses that I hold really dear. Maybe I don't actually know what's going on in the context of the Bible. Maybe I need to give more time and thought to that and actually understand the story of the Bible, not just the verse of the Bible. So we need to be familiar with context, both the original setting of the story, but also our own. So by understanding our own culture, we can be aware of our limitations. And I think the scriptural basis for this is in Romans 12:3, where it says, Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. And so I think with this, sometimes we, we have a tendency to read ourselves into the Bible or read our culture in, rather than let the culture of the Bible speak to us in our own situation. And so that kind of uh, sober judgment is really required so that we can understand uh, the context of the story of the Bible. Uh, so a couple of years ago, probably really a year or two ago, I was really questioning the Bible and like there's, there's stuff in the Bible that, that is contradictory, shock, horror. Uh, but you have like, it's not just one person that's writing this thing. Like this is 66 books, so there's a lot of people that are re- writing this from different perspectives. Um, and this is where I kind of was really aware of my own culture. So in a Western culture, something is either A or it's B. And we have this whole classification thing, and that comes from Aristotle and, and the thinking that underpins really the thinking of the scientific method that we're engaged with today. But that wasn't the case in Hebrew culture. There was no kind of binary. So something could be both A and B, and it still be true. And, and the truth of the story of the Bible is really the mystery of it. It's not about 
here is something that, you know, is, is absolutely true in the sense that it's either true or it's not true, but it's actually a mystery more often than we kind of give it credit for. And so, um, we... Let me... So, I was angry, grumpy. I was like, God, why, why do we have this thing? Why do we have this Bible that kind of can be used to justify things like slavery and sexism? And I was like, this is it's so annoying. Why couldn't you just give us something that really explained who you are? And then I kind of stopped when I asked that question. And I went, oh, kind of corny, but you did. You gave us Jesus. Like, and this is telling us, this Bible is telling us about Jesus. And so that's what we really need to get to beyond the, the verses and engage with the person whose story this is. Uh, so we see that Jesus um, engages with the Scriptures really well and has a really good understanding uh, of the Scriptures. Uh, in Matthew 4, verses 5 and 7, you see uh, the devil come to tempt Jesus and quote Scripture at him. But Jesus is like, no, nah, I know Scripture. I know the story. I don't just know what you're telling me. I know the whole story. And what you're telling me doesn't fit in with the story. So here's another Scripture back at you. Um, and there's another point. Uh, in John 8 that I'll skip to um, now, Dean. If you can put that John 8. Uh, yeah, so this is where uh, the crowds have caught this woman in the act of adultery and they've dragged her before Jesus and said, Jesus, the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? So here we go. They, they're actually quoting the Bible kind of correctly, half correctly. I went and looked up the bits of the law that they were actually quoting. It says, the man and the woman. Where was the man? Not there. They kind of missed that bit. Um, but so they kind of got that bit you know, right, that it does say in the law of Moses that this woman should be stoned. And then they're saying, Jesus, what, what do you say about this? Like, this is the law of Moses. This is the word of God. And then he basically says, you know, you know the story. You're like, okay, stone, but let anyone among you who is without sin throw the first stone. And they started to depart, the oldest first, because they were wise. And they kind of knew, you know, their own stories. And like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's not me. <laughs> and kind of got out of there. But here we see Jesus engage with the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is about love. It's about grace. It's about that forgiveness that Jesus embodies so well. So I've kind of had a lot of facts, but as I said, I don't want this message to be about the facts of the Bible. I want it to be about the story of the Bible. That's the real beauty. And the, the beauty is that the story of the Bible actually is not finished, but we're invited into it as well. Uh, and there's this method of storytelling that exists in, um, in a lot of cultures, actually, uh, that is basically called ring storytelling, where it basically is a circle instead of a line. So a lot of us would kind of understand stories as a line with a start, middle, and a resolution in a straight line. But what the Bible does is actually tells a story and tells verses and tells stories and tells the, the grand narrative, the big picture, is all in a story. So it starts in Genesis of the Garden of Eden, 
And there's the two trees that we, we read about there in Genesis. The story, uh, the tree of the, the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. You kind of don't hear much about the tree of life because it's kind of you know, it's just there. But there's two trees there. And so if we kind of picture that uh, as at the top of our circle that we're going to have, and that's where the story starts. And then so out from the Garden of Eden, there's a reflection within the circle. So at the top of the circle... And the bottom of the circle is, is the same thing. And basically what the circle story wants to do is get back to where it started, but have a, an intensified or a, a new understanding of that place. So it's not exactly the same place. It's the same place, but with the benefit of this whole journey that we've undertaken. So at the start, there's those two trees. And so at the opposite end of the circle, where the circle starts to turn around and head back to the original destination is another tree. It's the tree of the cross of Jesus. And so at that point, that is the point where, boom, something changes. And instead of heading down, the direction of the story changes and comes back up. And so we're actually in this next arm of the circle called the latch, if you want to look at that in the, the um, prescriptive t- st- theory of the rings uh, narrative. And so we're in that latch part going back to uh, the, the trees at the top of here. And so there's reflection and there's parallelism in, inside that circle. And we see that, you know, uh, animated in the prophets and in the gospels and in all these kind of stories that we have. And so going back up to the circle, we read in Revelation that those trees again, in, in Revelation uh, 22... I didn't give this one to Dean, so he doesn't have it. I'm sorry. Uh, So, Revelation 22 says, In the midst of the street and on the either side of the river, there was the tree of life, which bears the twelve fruits and yielded fruit in every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So, that's really where we're going to end back up. And so, we've got the tree at the start, the tree where things started to change. And then we've got that motif of the tree again at the end of time where that circle is complete. I've gone all over the place with this today. So, so basically, I want us to see that it's the vibe of the thing is, is really important. Not just the little facts, but the whole vibe of the thing is really important. Uh, and we have, um, let me find that scripture. As I said, I've gone all over the place. Um, it's a Matthew one. Hang on, I'll put this down here. I should have numbered my pages, shouldn't I? Okay, Matthew 23, 23. Thanks, Dan. It says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, the little things, the mint, dill, and cumin. But if you, you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. And I think this is really relevant when it comes to our understanding of the Bible. It's important to know the facts and the how the Bible is made and the things, and even sometimes the, you know, the verse references, all that kind of stuff. But what's more important is we engage with the story, the justice, mercy, and faithfulness that Jesus embodies. 
Uh, so I want to talk you a little bit through this ring narrative as well. And I'll try and bring it to a close fairly soon. Uh, so if we could go to the other verse in Matthew. Uh, where is it? It's here somewhere. You got it there? Is there? There's another Matthew one. Yes, this one. Perfect. Thanks, Dean. And so this is one verse that kind of has this whole ring story in the thing. So I'm going to show you how this works by giving you each section here, three sections, something to remember. So the first section is no one can serve two masters. That's you guys. Remember that, okay? And then it goes to the next bit. You'll hate one. So your, your bits is you'll hate one. And then the next bit is and love the other. And, and then this is where it turns around. Boom, turns around. Or you'll be devoted to one. Love and devotion, that kind of goes together. Then we come back this way in the circle. Despise the other. And then we come back over here. You cannot serve both God and money. So it's actually this whole ring cycle that's happened in just that verse. And that plays out too in, um, in, in stories. It helps with, um, scientists have proved that it helps with how to remember stories. If you can have to things that happen and then they happen kind of in opposite order, but there's still the things there. Oh, Dean, can we get that picture up of the, um, the ark story? So here's, here's one picture that shows, no, not that one, the other one. That one. Oh, can we get it smaller so we can see all of it? Oh, no. All right. But in the story of um, Noah and the ark, we, we basically, oh, I hope we can show it, but it's basically a big version of that little verse where it starts out with one thing and it gets to this X point which is the point where the, the narrative turns around and starts to come back up. So like in the whole big narrative of the Bible where I was talking about the cross of Jesus Christ being that point where the whole story starts to turn around and come back up towards its resolution, you can see like a, a microcosm of that involved in the story of Noah. If we get to that, we'll get to that. Great. So, Noah and his sons, first thing, Genesis 6.10, and we see A at the very bottom. So, A is at the start and the bottom. All life on earth, all life on earth. Curse on the earth, blessing on the earth. So, it's the opposite. So, it's kind of flipped there. Flood announced, no flood in the future. The ark, the ark, all living creatures, all living creatures, food, food, animals in man's hands, animals exiting the ark, entering the ark. Exiting the ark. Uh, so waters increase, waters decrease. God remembers Noah. The whole thing, the whole story is about getting to the point where God remembers Noah and then you see it restore back to where it was. There's this whole big circle happening. It's the story, it's the narrative, it's the vibe of the thing. The marbo, the vibe. All right, to close, I'd like to um, paraphrase a few lines from the book, uh, The Ragamuffin Gospel, which I can highly recommend if you haven't read it. Um, it's a few books. I mean, all this stuff comes from, from lots, of, lots of books. So if you want to read some more about some of this, come and talk to me after. I'll tell you some great books that you can read that, that talks about some of this story stuff. Um, but um, Bernard Manning says something along these lines. Christianity is not primarily a moral code, 
but a grace-laden mystery. It is not essentially a philosophy of love, but a story of love. It's not keeping rules with clenched fists, but receiving a gift with open hands. I'd like to close now and just pray for us, if you'd join me. Jesus, I thank you that you are the lens through which we can read the Bible so that it makes sense. Thank you for your love, for your grace, for your mercy, for your compassion. Help us to read the Bible and see you in it. Help us to see you and your purpose for us. Help us when we read the Bible to see ourselves as we really are, as you made us to be. Help us to see how we can participate with you in this amazing story. Thank you for creating us for this. Thank you, God. You are the true word of God, Jesus. Help us to read the scriptures in a way that further illuminates who you are so that it can change us and it can change our world. Help us to be who we are created to be. Have your way, God. Amen. Thank you, Adam. Wasn't that amazing? So good. Let's give Adam a hand. Thank you. Let's stand. And I do encourage you, if you, I'm sure you loved um, what Adam shared. And if you want to know more, like Adam said, go talk to him afterwards. Get some references. Shout Adam a coffee maybe. And I'm sure he'd love to unpack some more with you. But we're going to worship now. Let's stand. Adam's going to be booked up for coffees for years. <laughs> um, and I just think that was so beautiful and I love what Adam was saying about grace. And maybe in your heart you've never actually heard it presented like that, that actually it's all about Jesus and his grace and not about law. And even as we're worshipping, if there's something within your heart that just wants to respond to that and say, Jesus, you know, I want in. I, I want to be part of that grace. I want to be part of this story. And may your heart just be stirred as we worship and um, God continue to speak to us. Thanks, team. <laughs>